0: Hello, welcome to Chronicle NUFC over on Facebook and on Twitter trying something new today. Joined by Mark Douglas. Mark, now the dust has settled over that performance against Southampton, obviously 2-0 defeat. How are we feeling oh, about I feel- it? I know on Friday um, we were feeling pretty down in the dumps as, as most <laughs> Newcastle fans were as well. What's your feelings on this Sunday morning about how Newcastle performed?
1: Oh, it was a t- it was. Terrible performance. I mean, in terms of where um, where it stands this season, I think it's, it was probably as bad as the Brighton game, but probably worse because you know we'd seen Newcastle set the standards against Everton. Really, you know, they 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 played in that in that game. You know, in, in the manner of a team, I think the manner of the team that we think they can be. You know, I don't I don't think anybody expects them to necessarily be troubling the top eight this season um, with the team they've got. Um, but you know, we, we expect. The standards that were set at Everton, you know the 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 organisation, the hard work, the sort of um, the attacking ash that they had against Everton at times. You know, it wasn't brilliant against Everton. Let's be honest, the first forty-five minutes was was poor. But I just didn't see one moment in the Southampton game where they really looked like they were ever going to be in that game. Um, Saints were just a better team. They had more about them. Um, They had an idea. You know, they looked like a team that had spent a year really honing the, f- the style the formation and um, the philosophy that Ralph has, hasn't told Huttle as now has now got there and, and I think what what really pains you a little bit more about Southampton than, than does about Everton is that that's not a team has spent absolute fortunes in the transfer market. It's a, it's a team, let's be honest with a manager who's I think pretty progressive, a good manager, a, a manager, yes, he's been given time, but he's also you can see the progression there. The problem with Newcastle is that they, you know, there's one week when you can see some progression. So Everton, you, you know, you felt like okay, it might not be the front foot football that, um, you know, that, that I think Steve Bruce has found himself uh, hammered for for the club saying that they were going to be on the front foot. Um, when you know against Everton, it looked like they had gone a little bit back to where they were last season. Um, it might not be that for Newcastle, but it what is it? Because you know, for every Everton, there's a, um, there's a there's a there's a Southampton, there's a Brighton. To a lesser extent, there's a there's a Wolves and a Tottenham. I know they got points there, but they were outplayed then as well. And and um, you know it's difficult to be enthusiastic about where Newcastle United are this season. You know, I know they're 11th. I know they're in the quarterfinals of the of the League Cup, yeah. but too many performances like like Friday. Mm-hmm. Too many times we can put it down to they had an off day, or you know the team didn't turn up, or whatever. But sooner or later, yeah. you have to start asking what is the big picture with Newcastle? What is Steve Bruce's consistent plan to get Newcastle United moving forward and progressing as a football club and I have to I have to be honest that you know until they start putting together a real string of a string of performances like they did against Everton it's impossible to tell because keep changing things you know players keep getting moved into different positions um and I just don't see I just don't see where they are heading as a football club you know they're not going to get relegated this season I don't think but they have to play much better than they did on Friday for us to feel like they're moving forward.
0: One of the things Steve Bruce was criticised for, um, was not changing the style of play, was not changing the plan against Southampton, you know, in his comments, he said from six minutes in, we gifted them the first goal and it was a difficult night all round, which suggests that he knew, you know, that it wasn't going to plan very early on. And yet it took them to well in in the second half to switch things up. Um, you know and it was evident what Southampton's plan was to press. They've done it all season, they do it very well. So why why didn't why do you think Steve Bruce didn't react, didn't change it? Um there wasn't a reaction at half time. Is that criticism fair on, on, on Steve Boost? That he's he's not a maybe a, a, a very reactive manager?
1: Well I think he has done in the past we've seen we've seen in, in games last season where they where things weren't going particularly well and the team um and, the, and he did change it and i think he actually sometimes got criticism got criticism for that as well because it was felt like you know they had three or four different formations within a game i think he can change i think they can be reactive I mean, they were just totally caught on the on the back foot against southampton i don't think they expected um the team to be quite as uh, you know it felt like they were lackadaisical i know they they'd set off for for southampton a little bit um, earlier. And they obviously had the, the slight change in travel plans and things like that. I don't know whether that affected them, whether that had an impact on them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he didn't change. it. He has done in the past. So I don't think it's necessarily that he's not a reactive manager per se, but I think he didn't on Friday. And he's probably just got to take the criticism on Friday of his of his tactics and, and the system and his approach on, on on Friday. You know, look, the week before... And I think the week before that, against Wolves as well, um, whatever you feel about how they played how they played in those two games, you know, they did they did at least get the job done. I think against Wolves, we're a tad fortunate because they, they definitely could have conceded goals in, in that match, but they they set up to be a little bit more um, a little bit more solid. I think is probably the right the right way of saying it. But then you know, on on they did the same thing on Friday, and then when it doesn't happen on, uh, so early on, I I don't think that team has you know, a, a second gear, a plan B, particularly when um, when things don't go for them? Because you can see, you know, I, I'd like to have seen what would have happened against Wolves or Tottenham if they hadn't, have, if they had have conceded goals. They obviously did against, um, obviously did against Southampton. Would it have gone the same way that it did in those games? I suspect it probably would. Um, and that, I think, is is a big criticism, I think, that you have of, of this squad and, and, and of this manager. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be... I'm not going to come on here and say that everything's absolutely horrific. You know, let's be honest; they've had some good results this season as well. But I think when what sticks in the mind so far this season is is a lot more of those performances. You know, I can think of three or four this season already where I've sat there and I've you know I've despaired at the performance. Brighton's won. Tottenham. I'll be honest with you; the performance was dreadful. Even though they they drew one, or they they were just up against it. Newport. They won that game, but you know, again. It felt at times, you know, like I just don't see a bigger picture with Newcastle United at the moment. I don't see where they are heading, where the progress is. It was really interesting to hear Ralph Hassan Huttle say after the game that they've honed this philosophy, they've honed this style in um, playing in front of uh, no fans because they say it encourages people to take more risks, it encourages them to be a little bit more adventurous. I don't see that kind of thinking with Newcastle. You know, they've tried different things to, to move them forward. See, Bruce says he's tried different things and they always keep coming back to the, the tactics, the short blanket, don't they? That, that, that tactic that, that Rafa Benitez had. And I'm not saying it's it's Rafa who gets them points because obviously it's not. It's the Bruce and it's, it's the way they play in those games. And, and, and you know, he's better than, than some of the critics on Twitter give him credit for, I think, absolutely. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's big questions about whether they can move this team forward, whether they can make the most of the resources that they've got. Because at the moment I see another season where there's going to be three teams worse than them. They're probably not going to be top eight. They should be top half. Whether they are or not depends on, on how they bounce back in, in the next few games. And, you know, unfortunately in Newcastle there's always a um there's always a Southampton performance in them.
0: Let's talk about the defense. Obviously Carl Darlow made a few good saves and kept the score down. You know, Alan Shearer said it could have been five or six and if you look at the stats that the uh, sky brought up and i think this was midway through the second half so there was plenty more shots to come um at, at that point shots faced 129 ranked first in the premier league shots on target first 50 first on, in the premier league saves 37 first in the premier league save percentage 76 percent. but they're worrying stats um mm. And it, it, is Newcastle's luck going to run out sooner, sooner rather than later, do you think? Because Carl Darlow can only, you know, save so many. And at one point, the fear is is that, you know, the, the kind of the, the riverbanks will burst and, you know, there'll be a flood of goals in one game where Newcastle, a bit like last year against Leicester, are severely embarrassed.
1: Well, they defied the odds for for the best part of kind of 12 months now, really, in a lot of ways, because there's been a lot of games where I think Newcastle probably should have been beaten it it's easier I I think it's harder to break down a team that play the way that Newcastle do than than maybe you know you give you give them credit for it it's hard you know I think when you when you set up like Newcastle do I think a lot of teams find that really difficult to break to break down you've seen that with the teams that that, you know it's really hard to um you know especially when they've got a good goalkeeper they've got some good defenders as well um so it is hard to get past Newcastle. You know, I think although they face all those shots, you know, it's not as if it's not as if in some of the games um, they're giving away guilt-edge chances. I think they they have they did against Tottenham. Um, you know, I don't think Southampton had. and it could have been six. Yes, I suppose that yeah, it could, it could always be. I mean, Newcastle could have got a couple of goals. I mean, they didn't look like they were ever going to get them. But you know, I, I think it's it's always difficult to say that they're going to get beat six or seven. That's not what. I worry about what I worry about is that they're going to concede a goal. You know they rely on staying in the games for as long as they can, as long as they can. Newcastle, that's top and bottom of it. Against Wolves, they didn't concede until late, so they still had a chance in that match. Against Southampton on Friday, they conceded early. Never ever looked like they were going to get back in the game. That's the problem. If you concede those chances and you concede them early, you're going to find yourself in a much harder a much harder position to try and rescue points. Um, You know. I just feel it's unsustainable. I know, but I felt like that for uh, twelve months. You know, how they beat Chelsea last season, for example. You know that that still uh, that still ranks for me as one of the most improbable wins I've ever seen Newcastle United pull off. They were just absolutely up against it from the start. Um, So it's not going to be able. They're not going to be able to sustain that that level of um, giving away chances. And I think, to be honest, this isn't a team that should be conceding that amount of chances. They've got players. That don't need to be being up against it quite as much as they are at the moment and, and that's for me the, the, the massive worry is that you know why are they conceding that many chances what is the what's the reason i know they sit back i know they see possession but when it was um benitez doing that they didn't concede as many chances as they are doing um at the moment and you know i know they've got they've got a really good goalkeeper at the moment in carl and they've got a very good goalkeeper to come back in martin debravska so you can you can rely on them to make some good saves but it's like you said. It's only going to take. It only takes one of those chances to go in early on in the match, and you're you're right up against it. It's it's not a sustainable philosophy going forward to concede that many chances. It's it's just not. Um, and you'll notice in the week before when they played quite well, they didn't concede as many chances. So that's what worries me. Is that they're not aiming to play like that. It's just that they keep ending up playing, being that way. And why is that the question? That that's what a manager's there for. And you know if you can't address that problem, then you, you have to ask questions about him.
0: You mentioned they not yeah. looking like getting back into the game, and that brings us on nicely to a few points that you know have arisen over on social media. We'll start with the Alan's saint maximum, um, question. Now, he said, uh, I think it was last month that he wanted to play in this central role in this number 10 kind of role, and Steve Bruce has allowed him to do that, and it's not worked at all. I don't think it's unfair to say the last few games he's looked at you know a shadow of, of, of the former self he's not looking like he's got that desire to to run forward he's not being effective as much as of what we've come to um, see them previously um so is it a case that Steve Bruce just has to just say to him look it's not working I'm gonna put you back out on the wing we've tried it um or is it up to the player to step up to the to the point because Newcastle our worst side when Alan said maximum's not at his best that's mm. clear and it seems that he's not at his best in this kind of number 10 free role behind Callum Wilson.
1: I think I think there's a bit of that. I think there's also a bit of teams have, I mean, worked out how to nullify him unless he does something different. You know, you, you're looking at, um, I mean, I think he was OK last week. He wasn't, he, he didn't get into the game in the first half, but he's he a bit better in the second half. He's probably opening up a little bit more space for other players to play because he is getting, I think you can see the treatment that he's getting from opposition teams now they are. They are trying to sideline him and and that is something I think that he that he probably needs to address now he he needs to work out how he's gonna how he's gonna play when when opposition teams are set up to prevent the ball from getting to him or or or, you know I I think what's happening is that opposition teams are pressing Newcastle to the point where he's not getting it in the areas where he can run into uh into the final third to to actually cause problems for, for opposition teams so if they're preventing him from getting the ball in those in those areas. Then there's not much he can do, you know. Unless, like you said, he's moved into a role where he's maybe taking a little bit away from the central central position. He's moved into back into the wing, and and I think that's probably what will end up happening if he if he keeps his marginal presence. But it's probably up to him, and it's up to Newcastle to come up with a different game plan for, for Alan Stamatopoulos. Because, you know, after he took apart Burnley, it's been noticeable how teams have pressed Newcastle a lot lot more um then maybe they, they maybe they were before. I mean Burnley didn't press them at all. Burnley were um, you know, Burnley kind of don't press, you know, that that's not their game. But Southampton did. Um Wolves I think did as well. Wolves Wolves will do that. Um Everton didn't didn't quite so much and you know, I think they came and they came and they just wanted to play their play their own game. And I think you've seen Everton have now gone through a, a bit of a, a slump without one or two of their key players. Um but Sir Maximan, I think, is the key. You know, he's always been the key for Newcastle. If he if he's playing well, then they're going to look better attacking-wise attacking, um, uh, attacking wise. and going forward. I think in the first game of the season against West Ham, they gave him space, they gave him time, and he will he will punish you. And simply, the other teams have probably just worked out what a good player he is. Now, it's up to Alisson Maximan. If he's got pretensions of being a, a, an elite player in, this, in the Premier League, which I think he does, then he's going to need to come through this next phase of his Newcastle career.
0: Let's talk about, Let's talk them, which about field, obviously, Jeff Henrik, Sean Longstaff was the, the central pair and they obviously missing John Joe Shelby. I think many people, when John Joe Shelby got injured, were maybe, I don't know if excited is the wrong word, but they were intrigued to see who would replace him. They were oh. in, maybe a bit excited to see Sean Longstaff, maybe Matty Longstaff get uh, the chance to impress. And he's gone with uh, Sean and he's gone with Jeff Henrick against uh, Southampton and it, it really didn't work I mean Jeff Henrik in the hour that he played had 24 touches on the ball mm-hmm. which for a central midfielder you know you want someone pulling the strings and there's questions over how he's in the team ahead of ahead of Hayden uh, so I mean really against Southampton it, the, the, the lack of dominance was exposed and it was, it was quite scary I mean I've got some stats here um, only 23% of Newcastle's forward passes came from the whole of the midfield so out of uh, what was it? I think it was 239 forward passes. Only 55 came from the midfield. Which I know you're up against it, but that's 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 shocking, isn't it? It's well, uh, Callum Wilson as well.
1: Yeah, and it also suggests that the, the, the majority of the forward passes are coming from the defence, sort of booting the ball over the midfield, you know, or, or or playing long passes, which I think is, you know, is is Newcastle are not, you know, Cal- I feel sorry for Callum Wilson because he's at the moment he's the lack of service is just is just you know. It, He's not going to score the goals that he needs to, to get himself back into the England reckoning, which is what he, what he wants when they're playing like this. I mean, Jeff Hendrick's is a strange Jeff Hendrick is a strange one because you know managers absolutely love him. I spoke to Mick McCarthy in the summer and said what a fantastic player he is, what a great professional. Um, you know, other managers have said, you know, I think Sean Dice wanted was desperate to, to retain him, desperate to keep him at the keep him at the club. But then when you spoke to Burnley, fans and when you spoke to Burnley correspondents, they'd sort of say, Well, I don't always see what he does. You know, he, he will have one really good game and then maybe two or three. You no, know, he, he doesn't he doesn't play that well. I think he's really only played he's only had an, one outstanding game for Newcastle and that was maybe the first game of the season against West Ham. I think since then he's been a little bit hit and miss. He wants to play in the central role, you know, that that's where he wants to play. Maybe maybe it's just that Newcastle's system at the moment just is is you know, it's almost like they don't need a midfield. The way they're playing, it's either eight at the back, or um, you know, they're, they're playing this counter-attacking system. The midfield just isn't just isn't right. But I think it's it's more to do with the system. To be honest, with you. I don't think too many players are going to um, too many attacking players or non-defensive players are going to really benefit playing the way that Newcastle do at the moment. So um, yeah, I mean, he hasn't been great, and I, I I'm just getting the sense that he's becoming a bit of a scapegoat. He's becoming one of the one of the core celebras on. On, on social media, you know, why is he playing? Why is he playing? Well, it's difficult to argue for him when he's, when he's clearly not not getting as involved as he should be in the team. But I think it's it's not an individual thing. I think it's it's a system. Um, it, it's just not quite working for Newcastle. I don't know whether it's that Steve Bruce has looked at it. He's tried to play differently in a few, few different ways and just sort of come up with the, the conclusion. I haven't got the players to play a different way, to play with my midfield more organised. But you know, you saw on Friday what happens when you have got midfielders who who press and you know are energetic and and push forward, and, and it just doesn't feel like Newcastle are quite quite there at the moment. And I don't know whether you know midfield was an area where they wanted to strengthen in the summer, they didn't in the end because they didn't have the money to do it. Whether they need a different kind of player, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, at the moment for me, I'd go Longstaff and Hayden. I just wouldn't, I just wouldn't deviate from that. We know they can play together. They've played well together um before for Newcastle. So for me it would be those two. Um, but I don't think Hendrick is necessarily him. I think it's the system.
0: On the system, system I've seen a few you? accusations that Steve Bruce is setting up in terms of in the formation that he wants rather than maybe looking at opposition teams and how to how to counter their threat and looking at maybe where the players he has got fit best in. So St Maxim on the on the on the wing. Um, you know, Hayden in this, and it, what's your view on that? Is that is that fair? I mean, how do you see what? How do you think Steve Bruce is picking this formation? And there's another comment here which actually says, you know, he's got a Um, this is from Raymond, I'll put it on the screen there. Um, you know, he says he's got to stop thinking about Rafa and, and, and pick what he wants. Do you think Steve Bruce is he's not going to admit it, but do you think he's still a bit kind of caught up in the whole Rafa Benitez and being compared to him? <laughs>
1: No, I, I think I think basically he it, it is they revert to safety first whenever they get have a bit of a run of results that he doesn't particularly like. So I think Manchester United he felt that they were too open, they gave away too many chances. So he went back to the defensive strategy that I think worked for for Rafa um, and worked for him. It's not not it's not even Rafa, is it? It's it's re- really at the start of you know this time last year when. Um, things were th- things had not gone well. They they lost to the Leicester, and then he just was like, right, we're going to rip up everything that we're doing, and we're just going to go back to the um, the strategy that we know that we know we knew worked um, for Rafa Benitez, and then it worked for Steve Bruce, and then he's sort of gone back to that again, um, which I think asks you massive questions about you know whether when it is that Newcastle are going to move forward under him because you know he knows that they've they, they're at their ceiling playing like this if if, they, if this is their strategy. They're never going to get above 10th, I mean, 11th where they are at the moment. Yeah, they had a chance to go fourth on Saturday. I mean, we would be having totally different discussions if they'd have turned up against Southampton and, and actually actually done something. Um, and that is what I. that's what I, I'm kind of frustrated by, because different, you know, different way of doing things. Maybe a different manager, let's be honest, they, they could be kicking on. Um but it just never feels like the reason that I think people are feeling a bit fed up about the Newcastle United situation is it feels like there isn't a lot of possibility around them their pundits are saying to us well Newcastle are what they are you know Roy Keane said it last week Mark Lawrenson said it said it yesterday Tony Pulis has said it as well it's like yes but that who do you blame for that where does the where does where does the you know what, what okay you keep saying that Newcastle will only ever get to Newcastle should be pleased to be still in the Premier League, but. Who's that on? Because they're a big enough club to be to be kicking on. Southampton are top of the league. You know, you telling me that Southampton necessarily two years ago had well, even this time last year. You know, this time last year they were they'd just been beaten nine one by Leicester. Um, They're in the bottom three. It's possible. Does
0: Southampton Southampton even have a better a better squad? I mean, maybe by a tiny bit, but man for man, I mean,
1: maybe not. You know, I mean, well, well. it'd be interesting to see what Ralph Hasselhoff would do with the team, that Steve, with the squad that Steve Bruce has. You know, I think Southampton, I I like Southampton, I like a lot of the players that they've got. But, you know, those players have been scouted by Southampton and and brought in. I thought, you know, Gennepro looked really good. James Ward-Prowse, I've always been a massive fan of James Ward-Prowse, even when he's been a little bit out of favour. I always always thought he's a really good player, should be in the England team. I, I do like him you know, like, like Sophia Walcott. Well, if he'd have come to Newcastle and there was some speculation, a lot of Newcastle fans were saying, oh, we don't want Theo Walcott here. He's, he's finished, this, that and the other. But look at him on Friday. He was absolutely outstanding. You know, it's it's not about, it's not just about resources. It is also about coaching. It's also about having a manager who will take you forward, you know. And, and I think in particular, in lockdown, you're seeing, and, and you know, behind closed doors football, you're seeing, managers and the way that they coach is even more important um, because Southampton have managed to go up and up and up. Um, Newcastle have kind of stayed where they are. I mean, some teams have got worse. So it's not that Steve Bruce is the worst manager in the Premier League. I, I really don't believe that. Some teams have got worse. Some teams are struggling. Um, you know, a lot of people talked about Graham Potter after they came to Brighton, after Brighton came to St. James's Park and set Newcastle aside. But, you know, they're now bottom five. They've only won. That's the only game they've won this season. So, we have to balance it a little bit, but I think in terms of feeling like Newcastle are an ambitious club that can move forward and excite us, we're not seeing the evidence of it. And we've we've had Steve Bruce as the manager now for fifteen months, so maybe the, the you know maybe other pundits are sitting there saying, "Well, what are you complaining about?" It's like, well, actually, it's surely a f- f- football fans' prerogative to want their team to progress. You don't just want to be in the same situation every year. Um, and, you know, he has had a bit of money to spend this summer um, and he's got some good players in. So they should be doing a little bit, you know, they should at least be sort of doing a little bit more than they're doing. I mean, I can't think of too many games this season where they've been really enthralling to watch. Maybe the opening game mm-hmm. of the season was was good. You know, Burnley, they were pretty good. Everton, they were good. That's three games. It's, you know, it shows that there's something there, doesn't it? And And not building on it.
0: What did you make of Fabian Schär's comments? And you know, he spoke to NUFC TV after the game. I'll read them out. Um, he was asked, you know, what, what kind of went wrong? He said, everything, everyone had it. I'm just going to say a beep game, to be honest. And we can't continue like this. We had a good game against Everton. And then we start a game like this. For 90, 90 minutes, we didn't do enough, losing the ball early and not solid enough. We knew their strengths is to press high. And and we knew what we shouldn't do. I mean, brutal, yes. You know, fair comments. I mean, he did give uh, two of the uh, the first passes away in the first three minutes, so he didn't have the best of retention uh, of the ball himself. But brutal comments, and and you know, the web, the club put them out on their website as well, which I think um, surprised a few people. What did you make of them?
1: Yeah, well, obviously, at the moment, there's no players aren't speaking to independent media because of the uh, coronavirus situation. You know that. They're just not um they're not being put up after games, which you know you can kind of understand. So, you know, normally I think we probably would have had a few more some good talkers in that Newcastle squad, some good good characters in there who who kind of understand what is expected of Newcastle United. Um so fair play to the club for allowing those comments to go out. It reflected, I think, probably the mood in the dressing room that they're not, you know, they're not shirkers in that dressing room. They're not people who shy away from criticism. You know, I think sometimes they feel that some of the stuff that's written about them, some of the stuff that's said about them is is unfair. And there is a bit of a siege mentality, I think, at Newcastle amongst the coaching staff, amongst the players who feel that some of the criticism is just ridiculous and is um, Newcastle media just just, you know doing what Newcastle media always do is what they feel, I think. Um, But I think I really like to see that kind of thing because I think it shows that he, he understands that that's not acceptable. To be fair, I don't think Steve Bruce flannels things too much you know I know he gets criticized a lot for what he says um but he gets criticized a lot by some people for for everything but I don't think he flannels things I think he knows that it's not quite right at the moment and it needs to be it needs to be a little bit better it's maybe his people who know him and friends in the media uh, who um you know like managers I mean more than more than uh, more than anyone else who, who don't help him by coming on and sort of saying well he's doing a fantastic job he's doing a brilliant job you know I think he would say he's doing an he's doing a okay job but it's not fantastic because he because he would want to be doing a bit more he would want to be doing a bit better and it's the question for me is is he ever is he the man to do that um but you know I, when I see the, the, the sort of comments from Cher I think yeah fair enough and I'm I'm, I'm sort of glad he said that because I think the worst thing could you could do is sort of say oh well we'll We'll go again, you know. He's a he's a clever bloke, share, you know. He he knows what he's talking about, and you know he'll he'll not be happy with his own performance on Friday because it because it wasn't brilliant.
0: But again, and I hate to lay with a point, he's he's mentioned that they didn't start well. So shares mentioned it. You can clearly see it. We all saw it. Steve Bruce saw it, and I I do think that the criticism of just leaving it, even at half time, you could have you could have switched something up because they've both said early on we didn't start well so is, it, is is that down to the manager to get some instructions across change it up is it down to someone on the pitch um to, to you know take the game by the scruff of the neck and say look there's the for instance there was too much space between the back five and and, and the trio in midfield time and time again the defense were clearing it but it dropped right where southampton were in, and longstaff and henrik were too far away you know there was a massive gap so does someone need to take the game by the script and say, right, let's sort this out? Or was it down to the manager? What's your feeling on that?
1: Well, I think you, you did You did see um, You did see um, the players sort of saying that. I mean, I think Lee Ryder, was at the match, said that, you know, Carl Darlow had told them all to wake up. Sells had said the same thing in the second half. So there was attempts to do that. Um, the manager could have changed it. I think he probably would have felt after six minutes, let's give it a bit of time. You know, okay, we, we've not, you know, I think, it should have been changed at some point, shouldn't it? Because they were clearly not, clearly not doing enough. But I think after six minutes, you, you know, it's probably a bit too early, even if they didn't start well. Um, maybe after half an hour, you look at it and say, can can we change it? But they'll have thought, we've trained all week, we've practised all week to play this way. Um, let's give it a little bit longer, I would have thought. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they should they should have done a bit more. But I think you just have days like that where probably the players, they just couldn't do anything. You know, Southampton were too good, and they were too poor and it didn't matter what, you know, probably in their heads they were thinking we, we want to we want to change this. But they just couldn't. Um, and I think that, you, you know, you can't blame, you can't say, I don't think there was anything they could have done on Friday after the game started the way it did to to win that game. Because they just, they're not coached in the right way to win that kind of game. After If it doesn't start well and the, the, the opposition are playing that way, they're, they're just not, either they're not good enough or they're not. They're not coached. They, they haven't. They, they you know they're not. They don't work in that way to win that kind of game. And I think that's the that's maybe the the, the, the sad point about it is you know that when that kind of thing happens in those games they're not they're not going to win. They're not they're not going to pick up the points. Um, it worries me because there are a few teams that press like that in the Premier League, and you know Newcastle haven't played them yet.
0: So just before we get on to the Saudi move, which has got to takeover uh, tongues wagging, just a reminder of the competition we're running where you guys, one of you guys can win a copy of Football Manager 2021. Um, all you have to do is leave a review of the Everything is Black My podcast on Apple iTunes and then fill in a form. With that said, uh, review your details. I'll put the, the form you need to fill in, in the comments and on the on the tweet as well. It um, doesn't have to be an overly fantastic review, just a constructive, polite uh, review. Just be honest, just don't be offensive, um, and anything else is uh, is welcome. Mark? on to uh, the Saudi development and then there's got a bit of takeover speculation going um, you've, you've put it in the notebook this weekend can you just uh, let our listeners and viewers know what that's all about
1: yeah so it's the um, it's the setting setting up of the Saudi sports company I think it was it was talked about around the the end of this you know when when everything this was going on um, over the summer um, but it's been confirmed this week uh, that they are setting up a platform to um. Currently it's managed their own broadcast rights, but it's also to create content. And I think in the future it will be to bid for um, major sporting rights as well. So that will include the Premier League, I think is the intention at one point, which obviously will put uh, the cat amongst the pigeons if if that in two years time when the uh, MENA, uh, so the the Middle East and North America rights, uh, sorry, Northern Africa rights come up um, and the Saudis put a bid in for that then that will certainly set the cat amongst the pigeons considering their um how they've dealt with the uh, Newcastle United takeover as well but we're a long way away from that because at the moment i think saudi's don't want to bid for rights that could be um in countries other than their own so um they i think looking to unbundle the rights i think is the uh, is the correct phrase to to make it so they can bid for saudi only rights because that's what they want to do now the premier league have kind of resisted that all along but that was before COVID before sort of the money went out football a little bit and a lot of the Premier League's um, plans moving forward rely on massive surges in um, TV revenue so one of the ways that they can do that is to, to open themselves up to new markets so it's you know I think what um, the reason that it's got people who deal with takeovers look, looking, um, looking at it intently is is this another behind the scenes kind of move or is this another thing that's rumbling along in the background that just gives a little bit more legitimacy to their claims that you know that look they're going to be a big player in international sport. Saudi Arabia is clear; that is clear. And the more and more groups that are dealing with them, the harder and harder it is for the Premier League to maintain the line that they've they've maintained at the moment, which is that um, the um, PIF and Saudi Arabia are not separate entities, so they cannot they cannot allow them the takeover to progress. Um, it's it's all sort of stuff rumbling along in the background now we keep talking about well there's things going on well here's one thing that is going on and it is something that i know is being talked about in political circles um that these kind of things you know these kind of things are happening and it will put the premier league in a difficult position if um you know if, if if they think that they need TV rights to keep going and keep uh, keep the club sweet, and especially with all the project big picture stuff happening in the background as well, it's uh, they're in a difficult position at the moment. They're certainly not in the same position of presumed strength that they were in April, you know. And 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 I wonder whether that's one of the um, one of the paths that the the people behind this bid sort of see is that the Premier League's resolve will weaken over time, and it may be that they uh, they feel that you know. They get to a point where there's an optimal level of um, willing from the consortium, and maybe some form of backing down from the Premier League. And I haven't necessarily seen that yet, but that's certainly what they what they hope. And obviously, this move is another move in the right direction. Also, I mean, they, they kind of mentioned it in the summer, but this is sort of confirmation that it's that it's happening.
0: The sports minister for Saudi Arabia uh, mentions. Earlier this week, he was obviously, the, the focus was on the Formula 1 heading back to Saudi Arabia, but he was asked about the Newcastle United takeover by the BBC. He said, it's a shame it didn't go through, but we say here that there's always a reason for things happening or not, and we look forward to better opportunities, hopefully, in the future. Of course, there was disappointment that the deal did not go through. I'm not really sure what went wrong, what the discussions were about. It, is that significant? Because it's it's kind of the first time to my memory that they've actually, on record, addressed it. I can't, I mean, you might correct us and well, people watching and listening might do, but I can't remember a high official actually saying, you know, from the Saudi government saying, yeah, you know, there was something there. And this is what this is what happened or did not happen in, in the end.
1: Yeah, well, of course, the, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because obviously him talking about it is is one thing, but the argument was always that the PIF and the state were, separate entity, so it wouldn't have been the Saudi state who were taking over the football club it would have been the sovereign wealth fund so you know I suppose you can read it one of two ways it doesn't exactly suggest that there is a massive degree of separation there if the uh, Saudi sports minister is talking about it but obviously they would have had you know it would have been a big big thing for for Saudi Arabia um if if they had been allowed to take over Newcastle United I think you know it's clear that for me at the moment so so the noises around PIF are that I think the Saudi Saudi um people feel pretty annoyed about the fact that it's not gone through um there's a great deal of hurt I've been told that about the way that they were dealt with they don't think they were dealt with properly by the Premier League um there's been a lot of representations made to um government about that and to, to individuals I think about that as well and um you know at the moment they're 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 sort of they've stepped away and, and they're and not having a, a frontline line um, presence in this co- in the consortium anymore. That you know, it, it, the moves that are being made by the consortium are being made by the people who we all know about. You know, the Jamie Rubins of this world and the um, Amanda Staveley. And see, her husband's been very vocal on on Twitter in the last few weeks as well, and Mike Ashley as well, obviously. So Saudi aren't really involved anymore. They've kind of they're, they're not involved, but they are sort of monitoring what's going on. I think it's fair to say behind the scenes, and they you know they are willing to be to be called up again. Um, so at some point, you know, they feel like if if if, they can, if there is a route forward, they are willing to get plugged back into this takeover again. But at the same time, you know, I don't know how long they'll just wait um, because as I mentioned in the piece today as well, you know, there are other clubs and other countries where their, their finances are being, are being sought and they are being courted by other clubs all the time. So, you know, it's not going to be resolved quickly, but I think they're willing to wait for a while um whether that you know whether that that wait is um, indefinite i'm not i'm not sure so we probably haven't moved forward really as much as we might but you know there are things going on behind the scenes and i think probably the right thing to do is just wait and see what what happens with that but this is obviously one of those things that certainly been mentioned to me as something that you know to watch and to keep an eye on so there we are but um i think it's what we all kind of hope is a re- is a proper resolution in it you know um, yeah. And personally, I hope that it, it's one that, that does bring this takeover to happen because it's what clearly Newcastle United need.
0: What do you make what's of the, the legal letter? Obviously, the fans group um, rejected the Premier League's re- request for more time mm. to their legal letter. And obviously, then we have the, we have Nick Demarco in the background working on behalf of Mike Ashley um, and Newcastle United, and, and he's keeping quiet at the moment. Um, what's your view on, on those two elements of, of this takeover?
1: Well, the fans letter is obviously something that um, is, you know, it's, it's obviously an attempt by supporters, by a couple of supporters, to to force the process into the open. And, you know, I sort of commend them for, for doing that. It's better to do something than do nothing if you feel really strongly about it. Um, I don't see how that would necessarily facilitate the takeover to happen full stop. Um, and, you know, I think I've probably still got quite a few questions about that move. I think it's been billed as something that's going to um, force the Premier League's hand and things like that. I'm not sure it's necessarily that simple. It feels like if it was that simple, people would be doing that kind of thing all the time, you know, and, and it's obviously extremely expensive to start a case against the Premier League. So it'd be interesting to see where the where the funding was coming from that, because I think, I, I think I'm right in saying that the group that are behind it did actually try and um, crowdfund some money for a similar thing. Um, Through the War Fund, I think there was, I think there's some connection there. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure that that there is, but I think that 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 was the case. So, kind of what's changed and why have they now? There's some interesting connections there, isn't there? You know, obviously when this was when this was all broken, then all the people in the consortium tweeting about it, which, you know, I'm, I don't like that kind of thing because it, I think, the 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 less sort of mystique, mystical stuff behind this is, you know, when when you get people tweeting things and sort of putting question marks and and saying this is really interesting or something like that or these are the greatest fans in the world it's like well can you what can you tell me why you can't do this what if it's something that that is so important to this and will help the, the take of, why aren't you doing it why aren't there you know wh- why are the people who are involved with the consortium not getting more involved for example with the you know, the trust. Why didn't they? Um, why didn't they do? Th- why didn't? Why aren't they working more hand in glove with the trust? Because that's the that's the voice of supporters. Whether, yeah, you know, people might have individual feelings on the on the trust or, or not. But why? But they are. You know, they are the the biggest voice of the fans. They are dem- democratically elected. Um, fan supportable. So it's 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 a strange one. But but you know, I commend them for, totally for doing what they're doing. Where it ends. I'm not sure I've seen various different things I, I'm not aware you know I, I think probably like everybody the, the legal um the legal ramifications of this I'm not 100% sure about but it looks to me as if you know they need to work with the premier league rather than force their hand to be open about this because the premier league said they need more time to respond um and they've sort of dismissed that out of hand so you know are they just going to go straight to the point of taking the legal action um if they are then you know, it's going to be really interesting to see where that where that ends and whether we're going to get to any point where there's there's a bit more clarity and a bit more um bit more openness about what's actually happened. But you know, I, I don't really think I, I think that you know it, it it's commendable what they're doing. You know, they're trying to get some answers, and I think that's what we all need because while the Premier League have given their answers, do we 100 percent take them as the be all and end all? Well, I'm not sure. You know, I think they've given their verdict. They've given their side of it, but. I'm not entirely sure. You know that I think that probably the truth of the matter is somewhere in between what the consortium say and what the Premier League say. Um, so, so that's fine. I think Nick DeMarco's side of it. I think that's just going to happen in quiet. Um, they'll be looking through whether there's a case to answer. Um, and again, you know, I, I, although you know, I, I think he's obviously somebody who who uh, is not shy of coming forward. Nick DeMarco. I, I, I'm not sure why he was why all of them were tweeting about the 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 letter it it just to me it was just strange it 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 certainly gave it more gravitas which is great but if they know something that something else it probably they should they should come out and say it and it might well be that Amanda Stavely does do something um in the near future and speaks and speaks out um to people who who they kind of feel are stuck with the takeover from the start and um that'd be an interesting thing as well but you know, at the moment, there's so still so much smoke in mirrors, and that's why I think a lot of people have just sort of parked that for the time being and, and are concentrating on Steve Bruce and, and the failings of the club.
0: Um, obviously Nick De again proving his his worth with uh, a case for Sheffield Wednesday. Um, so I mean, there was a t- t- tweet that he put out and in the backstory of that, so it proves that you know he's very good at his job, which we already knew. Absolutely, um,
1: absolutely, he's clearly but- he's clearly you know, clearly knows his stuff, clearly is um, you know, everybody speaks highly of him. And I think, you know, I think maybe part of it is, you know, he, he likes to have that high profile. He's, you know, he he will know that Newcastle fans are sort of responding to every tweet that he sends with their own theories about what it means for the takeover. He he's absolutely he's not dafty, he'll see all those replies. And I think he'll hope that one day down the line when the takeover actually happens, if it happens and if he's had a part in it, he'll be able to kind of share the joke and and know that he'll You'll never have to you'll never have to buy a pint in Newcastle, Willie. Really, if uh, if it comes off,
0: <laughs> or or bread roll, or, um, a, yeah, or bread. Just to finish, then um, Binzai Group looking like yeah. they're about to buy Derby. I mean, it's been passed by the EFL. What 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 do you well, make of that?
1: Well, I've seen things you didn't think were going to happen. Um, it's more oh, Come on, interesting. <laughs> Binzai were. Let's put it this way. I, I, Let's let's put it this way. I hope that the mistakes that they made around the Newcastle United takeover they've kind of corrected to do with Derby because there was too much there was too much amateurism amateurism. I think is that the right word around their first bid. I, you know, we all know. You know, Neil Mitchell's a friend of the Chronicle, um, and he has met and met the guys from inside and has sworn to me that he's seen papers. He's seen legal contract like legal um dealings or legal contracts that they had ready to go for Newcastle they were they had some really exciting plans for the club and they did have the money is 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 what is what they said they did have the money to do it um but at the time i remember there was a massive as soon as the story broke there was a massive amount of skepticism that came out about it from the middle east end from people around the premier league you know they they'd said that they were in the, the owners and directors test but they, they weren't simply they weren't it just wasn't true um, and i remember having copious arguments with people over the that summer about where the bin group were and they were obviously convinced that they were much further on than they actually were so you know i kind of wrote them off massively because i just you know why would you lie about it why would you say you know the one thing about this consortium is they they got to owners and directors it was never like that you know people say oh well there was so much publicity around it but there wasn't you know they didn't really talk about it until they got to owners and directors it shut off from between january and april but what we had with Bin Zayed was, you know, just amateurism from the start, you know, the the, the MD, mid-kid wise, WhatsApp getting leaked, and then talking to fans, it just wasn't the way that a multi-million pound deal was, was going to be done. They turn up at Derby, there's been none of the same thing at Derby, so fair play, they must have learned their lessons from from that as well. I think it's different funding for them this time, I think it sounds like there's different there's different people behind this group, it's obviously a much smaller deal, it's, about sixty million, about sixty million as opposed to three hundred and fifty million. So they've clearly they've clearly done their homework and and you know I wish them well, but I, I'm not sure it's the multi-billion pound kind of deal that Newcastle would have got with the Saudis. Um I think it's probably a more modest one. There's money there, clearly, but it's not the the big deal that maybe um they would have had to have come up with, with Newcastle. And it maybe does say to me that they they were over ambitious with their um, with their um, bid for Newcastle. Maybe money wasn't there. I mean, if you speak to them, they'll tell you that Mike Ashley was the problem, um, and that he kept moving the goalposts, and that's why it didn't go through. Um, but you know, it's obviously like everything takeover wise, it's it's very different. There's very different viewpoints depending on who you speak to. And I'll watch what happens at Derby with with um, with a lot of interest because you know it could have been Newcastle.
0: Certainly will be interesting, given that Darby bottom the championship as well. We'll just finish with three questions then from our viewers, both from Facebook and Twitter. We'll start with um, one from RB81 who asks the question on the tier cover. Mark, do you think it will happen? And if so, when?
1: Um, It's a good question. I think the longer and longer it goes on, probably the less and less faith I have. I think it's got to happen by the end of the season. I think there'll be another flurry of publicity around it around December, maybe just before the January transfer window, because I think they will try and revive it. I think they know, I think the consortium know that they need to keep PIF on board. And if they're going to do that, then they need to do it quickly. They don't, it's not quickly, I think it's the wrong word, but they need to do it sooner rather than later, because they're not going to sit around for a year or two years, you know? So I think, watch out for things in December. I think it'll all kind of will be more talk in December. Um, so it could be that, you know, the, the new year and those kind of things are are things to watch. I think, you know, Luke Edward said it in the, in the podcast that we had the other week that, you know, he, he could see the noise is starting again, sooner rather than later. So that, that, that could well be a thing. Um, do I think it'll happen? I think it's still in the balance. I think it's still in the balance. It's definitely not over, um, but, whether it's getting any closer or not, I, I'm, I'm not too sure. There, there might have to be some form of a change in the in the, in the uh, consortium to, to maybe get it through. I was interested, you know, the fact that Jamie Rubin left his, his post at QPR, I still feel there might be a little bit more to that than beats the eye, but we'll see. And maybe in six, seven months time, we'll, we'll be sitting here and saying, yeah, we were we were right. There was something in that." Uh,
0: Mike Elliott asks, Mark, do you think, Newcastle will stave off relegation this season or are they going to go down he's not feeling too confident he says i think we are going down if there's no change as soon as possible and what what do you think Newcastle I don't, think they'll, go.
1: No, I don't think they'll go down because i think you look at the the teams down there and they've got you know Newcastle newcastle have beaten west ham they've beaten um they've beaten um burnley you know they they they're they're, they're, a, they're a better team i think than those teams right at the bottom i don't think they'll go down no. i think but it's going to be a up and down season unless something changes and they'll probably finish 11th, 12th, 13th, which is where they've been the last few years.
0: And just finally, a word on Callum Wilson. Obviously, he's going to have a scan, hamstring injury, but um, if it proves to be a serious one, then it's going to be a scary return to Premier League football for Newcastle Mm -hmm. in a couple of weeks' time.
1: Yeah, I think you've got to say he's going to be a doubt for for the game against Chelsea because if it's you know, any kind of hamstring injury, you're just not going to take the risk. I know he's obviously got he's obviously got a week, he's got two weeks, hasn't he, um, before the international break, but he, he's got to be a major doubt for the Chelsea game, and I would think the Newcastle just won't want to risk him at all. Um, you know, those kind of things can take three or four weeks to to heal or to get 100% better. I mean, we really hope that he, that he isn't, because why Gale's not back until December, so that would be maybe one place where you could have gone instead. I mean, they've got Andy Carroll, but... You know, again, he hasn't played a lot of football. I don't think he's looked brilliant this season either, Andy Carroll. I think, he, you know, he, he was OK at the start, but he's really not been involved at all um last few weeks. And he wasn't great against Newport, which was his last his last start. So that, that that's a worry. It may be that, you know, you end up playing some maximum as the kind of false number nine, and that'll be an interesting one. But they'll have to find a different way of scoring goals if Callum Wilson is injured. You know, they'll have to find it that different way. And if they do... um. If they do, then um, you know, then, then then fair play to them. But there's not a lot of attacking options in that team, is there? Um, you probably end up having to play Sean Longstaff through the middle or something like that. You know, we did say they needed a second striker in the summer and we were told, no, oh, no, we're, we're well stocked enough. Well, we might be about to find out.
0: Indeed. Mark, thank you for joining us. To those listening and watching, thank you very much for tuning in. Please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast. Keep safe out there and head over to chroniclelive.co.uk, where we'll keep you up to date with all the latest Newcastle United news. Thank you once again.